Welcome to 15 Past 15, Season 2. My name is Martin Dusenberry. And I'm Birgit Tremmerwerner. In this season, we're discussing wealth and the writing of history. And one of the key themes that we've been thinking about and that we'll be discussing today is the relationship between natural resources and wealth. As we record this episode at the end of August 2019, forest fires are blazing in one of the world's greatest natural resources, the Amazon region. And it's therefore a great pleasure to be able to welcome an expert on 20th century Brazil, Dr. Antoine Acker, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Zurich here at the History Department. Antoine, thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you. So I might start with a very basic question, if I may. Many of us who are not experts on Latin America perhaps have an impression of uh, Brazil when we think about natural resources and agricultural output, which is very much defined by the colonial era of uh, great coffee plantations, sugar plantations, and so on. Uh, your particular interest is in the 20th century, and it's a slightly different story to that. Could you say in a little bit more detail what your particular interest is? I'm interested in the production of oil, of petroleum, in Brazil since 1939. That is, since the discovery of the first oil well in the region of Bahia, of Salvador, which is the northeast of the country, and how um, the idea of transforming Brazil into a producer of oil worked as... Um, a vector of modernization, of industrialization in the country, basically, and making Brazil a self-standing industrialized economy. So this is a period, if we think about the global context, when Brazil's place in the world economy is mm -hmm. transforming. I think you have a figure at one point in uh, an essay, which mm -hmm. we'll discuss in a minute, of Brazil's GDP uh, tripling from 1% of the world's GDP to 3% across this 40-year mm -hmm. period. Is that to do with oil and petroleum in particular. Exactly, so from the 1930s, from the 1970s, you have Brazil's share in the world's GDP tripling, basically. Um, I wouldn't say it is directly connected to the development of an oil economy in Brazil, because um, oil only became a very important you know, industrial item in Brazil, an export item in the late 1950s, let's say. But uh, Brazilians constructed a whole imaginary of industrialization, which was tightly intertwined with the idea of becoming a petroleum producer, because petroleum was seen as a natural resource, which for the country could have a very different, play a, different, a very different role than colonial natural resources have played in the past, such as sugar, coffee, or timber, for example. Brazil used to be a provider of primary goods, for European economy and, and the North American economy, essentially. And the idea was, with petroleum, to rethink the relation between Brazilian society and the natural resources available in the Brazilian territory and put those resources at the service of national industrialization. Great, so that has various different um, aspects. One is this very interesting language of, of oil as the black gold in which the word black has particular racial and political overtones, especially in the northeast of Brazil. Could you say a little bit more about uh, the imagination of a mixed race society that comes as part of this uh, discovery of oil? Well, we're talking about a period for, above all from the 1930s to the 1960s, which is a period of nation building 
for Brazil, and which is also the first time in Brazilian history where you have a government which is trying to build a narrative that make all Brazilians stick together. And especially, um, although it only stay on a discursive level because there is, there is no concrete politics of racial equalities and, and social equalities back in the time, Brazil head of state, so uh, Getulio Vargas, is vehicling a discourse of racial integration, which is inspired from the writings of sociologist Gilberto Freire, you know, which is um, an author which by the 1930s is trying to, uh, let's say, reinterpret the Brazilian colonial history as the history of an encounter between races. And as part of this reinterpretation of Brazilian colonial history, you described the discovery of oil as a kind of revenge on history. That's a phrase filled with redolence. Can you say what you mean about the revenge of history or the revenge on history? It's, it's very much connected to the place where petroleum was actually discovered in Brazil. I mean, the first place where petroleum came out of the Brazilian subsoil was Salvador da Bahia, which was Brazil's first colonial capital, basically. And it was in Brazil's northeast, which today is, is the poorest region of the country but which used to be the cradle of the sugar, um, the sugar agriculture, which developed by the mid 16th century and um, made Brazilian elites or colonial elites wealthy during the centuries to come. And basically since the, um, since the decrease in, in uh, demand, in global demand in Brazilian sugar in the 19th century, you've got a phenomenon of decay of the um, sugar agriculture, sugar farming, in the Northeast, which basically will bring the Northeast of Brazil towards the road of pauperization and impoverishment. And the fact that oil is discovered in Salvador, so in this place, which is considered the poorest of Brazil and which is considered also historical failure because this is the end of the colonial economy, um, kinds of sounds like the hope for a national rebirth. You mentioned that oil was first discovered in the northeast of the country. Uh, in the article that you've written about this, which is entitled A Different Story in the Anthropocene, Brazil's Post-Colonial Quest for Oil, which is forthcoming from past and present, you have a wonderful uh, quotation from the energy minister in 1974 when oil was then discovered uh, off the coast of Rio de Janeiro. And this energy minister was a man who has a Japanese name, Shigeaki Ueki, uh, which is an entirely different story in itself. But he says, this discovery makes me want to go out and dance a samba in front of the government building. God was Brazilian on this. And it's, it's a phrase that you develop in your essay as being very much part of what you call a sort of mythology of oil in which somehow it's, it's part of God's plan for Brazil. Can you say a little bit more about that uh, mythology mm -hmm. side of things. Yeah, you have that expression, God is Brazilian, Deus is Brasileiro, which is one of many expressions which go back to that idea from colonial Brazil, from the colonial time, that Brazil was had a lavish land. You know, the name of Brazil is actually the name of a resource. It's the name of a timber, which uh, uh, was an extremely cherished and demanded resource in, um, in Europe in the 16th century, and which was actually quickly depleted. But already the name of the country, that the fact that the name of the country is that of a resource considered a very rich 
resource making people wealthy shows how much the history of Brazil and its construction as a colony, as a political entity, is intertwined with the idea of you know, a very generous land which is full of resources. That's great. You also have the phrase in your essay, eco-patriotism, and you indeed at one point have uh, a citation from the 1922 national anthem, which we'll maybe hear a little extract of. Eternally lying on a splendid cradle, to the sound of the sea and under deep skylight, thou flarest, O Brazil, crocket of America, illuminated by the sun of new world. Than the showiest land, thy smiling pretty prairies have more flowers, our groves have more life, our life in thy bosom more loves. Which actually shows that it is not only about idealizing Brazil as um, an Edenic land, but it is also about saying that Brazil's nature is actually superior to the nature of other countries and of other regions of the world. So there's a kind of discourse of exceptionality behind that. So it appears to me that all that you've been describing until now leads to a much bigger question that we are interested here in the writing of history. So this idea of writing about wealth connected to natural resources. Could you say a little bit about the sources for writing about natural resources? How is it different from writing about political history, for instance? I guess it, it depends on the topic. Um, but in the case of my research about all, I'm very much looking at human discourse about natural resources and how the relation or the link between humans and natural resources and the way they were managed changed over time. And I think one thing I'm using very much, especially regarding the state of Bahia and that northeastern region where oil was discovered, is looking at uh, judiciary acts and judiciary conflicts between uh, planters, like sugarcane planters, for example, and the Brazilian State Petroleum Company and Petroleum Agency and how the use of the soil, the use of the land, changed through the change of uh, the landowner, basically, and of those who were managing the land. But I guess, I mean, in my first book, I was working about the Amazon, and I was also trying to contribute to what I think is one very important input of environmental history in the field, which is to depict our relation, human relation to natural resources as something which is not stable over time, but something that changes a lot, basically. And I guess you also have to get a sense of how what that means materially for the environment. And data, such as deforestation data, are things which are very important for environmental historians, for example, or people working about natural resources. And in this sense, um, for my first research, I tended to work a lot with what was produced by other disciplines, such as you know, archaeology or biology, things like soil analyses or, or you know, coring. And of course, you work with the intermediary of, of other scientists, of texts written by, for example, natural scientists or archaeologists, sometimes anthropologists as well. So these are this is these are sources which you come into contact to indirectly, basically. I mean, I can see how these land registers and other scientific reports are important for you as sources, but your article also has a cultural history dimension, and you mention the national anthem as part of that, but you bring in a variety of sources. Could you say a bit more about that? I guess this is another side of the discussion which has had about 
Brazil as an Edenic land and the Edenic motif and, and what identifying role nature actually played in the history of the Brazilian nation building. And during that period, of, you know, nation-making period, which many historians have called a period of nationalization of the Brazilian culture, so something which starts in the 1930s, you actually find in Brazilian cultural productions, you know, in carnival songs, for example, sambas, but also poems or um, those literatura de cordeus, which are um, small booklets of very few pages which are sold in, in Brazilian villages. Uh, through the, in this cultural production, you actually can see this identification with natural resources. They talk about forests, they talk about soils, they talk about the climate and the weather, but they also talk about petroleum, which is, um, let's say, an, an item, I would say even a, an actor which is surging and emerging within the Brazilian national narrative in that time. And how do you think uh, your story of Brazil uh, can contribute to recent debates on the Anthropocene? Anthropocene debates, since they basically have started in the human sciences and even in the natural sciences, have been very much about the harm caused to the planet and to the climate, to the climate by the by global capitalism, by Western-led capitalism, basically as an heritage of the first and second European industrialization. And historians have have, have been having a hard time, let's say, to give a role to post-colonial countries, like formerly dominated and colonialized countries in this narrative of the Anthropocene. The main discourse about you know, what we would call the global south and its role within the Anthropocene is about how the global south have been plundered you know, and exploited and how the natural resources have been basically wrapped to build the European industrialization through colonization and through imperialism. But we don't know a lot about how middle-income countries such as Brazil, or you could say India, Indonesia, have started to play such an important role in the global economy and to become climate change contributors and contributors to the, the global exploitation of the environment as well. So this, in a way, then directly links to the very recent debates and questions about who do natural resources belong to, right? What lesson do we learn from the Brazilian case? I guess the Brazilian government and also petroleum agencies and experts mobilized around petroleum production were actually trying to present petroleum as a new resource which could become something that would benefit the entire nation and which could also serve to relief Brazilian workers from hard work, you know, for example, from hard work on the plantation through the mechanization of agriculture, thanks to the use of fossil fuels, but also a resource whose benefits, whose economic benefits could be redistributed. So this very much makes it sound as if oil is imagined in the mid 20th century as a kind of form of emancipation. Um, and you make the case at the end of your article that for these reasons, we shouldn't necessarily condemn the imagination of uh, fossil fuel usage simply because uh, it happens to have planetary consequences in terms of the Anthropocene and so on. Uh, so are you saying that we, we as historians have to develop a slightly different paradigm for thinking about 
resource use, fossil fuels, and so on, when we're talking about the global south? I guess the way we consider or envisage a particular resource very much has to do with the stage of scientific knowledge about that resource in the time we are doing it, basically. And we really have to put ourselves in the shoes of Brazilians before the 1970s, so you know, in the, in the first half, uh, let's say the two first thirds of the 20th century, where there was no awareness, there was no knowledge of the negative impact of petroleum on the environment. You know, in, in, in places where a lot of petroleum had been found and explored and exchanged, such as Mexico, for example, or Burma, people were actually aware of what, how this could harm forests, for example, or of the accidents that oil spills could, could cause. But there was no global environmental movement to you know, make this information circulate. So in the Brazilian context, before the 1970s, so in that first part of the 20th century, people were much more concerned by deforestation, by the effect of wood fuel on the environment, basically, and for example, by the harm caused by train circulation and railways, which were using actually wood fuels to, to work, than they were by oil. So oil was even seen as something which today we would call green energy, you know, an alternative energy, which could replace wood fuel, which had had such a negative impact on Brazilian forest and on Brazilian nature. The tone of your article is remarkably unjudgmental. Do you think such a non-judgmental style is appropriate for what is happening in Brazil today? I don't think so, because the knowledge we have about the Amazon's ecology and its fragility and the fact that forest fire can undermine the reproduction of the rainforest over time is pretty high, it's very complete, and is very much well-known in Brazilian society as well. So what the Brazilian government, the indulgence of the Brazilian government today towards accelerated deforestation is occurring in full awareness of the consequences this might have on the climate and on the local population. So I guess this has nothing to do with the historical situation in, where people, in which people were actually wanting to produce more oil because they thought that this could help Brazil prevent deforestation and had no knowledge about the clima climatic, uh, global environmental consequences of fossil fuel emissions in the atmosphere. Antonaka, thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you.